Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Uh, we back for episode 38, y'all. Rob, what it do out there? Man, I'm hanging in there. It's crazy times today in society. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff just out my balcony out here in Miami over the past couple of days. Looting, protest, peaceful protesting, uh, combinations uh, of both. Um, but undoubtedly, there's just a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff that needs to be addressed in our society. Definitely. And I, I just want to let y'all know, you know, we on... 97.9 the plug now radio station internet radio as well as all the podcast platforms but like rob mentioned you know let's jump into it we're a sports podcast but we also you know have to talk about the times and what's going on yeah we'd be remiss if we sat up here and act like uh there was something more something something more important going on than than the protests and you know the deaths of African-American males um, at the hands of law enforcement and pseudo law enforcement uh, over the last couple of weeks and, and just the, the time and the effort that's been put in just to at least get arrests made. You know, there's just there's this conversation. That has to be had. Definitely. Definitely. It's just unsettling times. And, you know, first I want to, you know, send our thoughts to uh, George Floyd and, and his family, uh, RIP. So let's kind of get into it. Like I mentioned, you know, and, sports and my as well. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, so like we mentioned, you know, we are a sports podcast and and I think there's been a lot of um you know cross section in between sports, athletics, social media, and in the, you know, unrest with what's going on out in Minneapolis and, and, and like you mentioned, uh in what it was Alabama as well, Georgia. With with all Yeah, Georgia, Mount Arbor, Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. So um Let's get into it. Um, George Floyd um, was arrested last week. A cop had his, you know, knee to his neck for over eight minutes. It was, this was all caught on film. Um, George Floyd passed, and so now we have, you know, what many consider to be, you know, justice needs to be called out and, and to be had for for the, the officers that were part of that arrest and you know and, and what is now the cop has been charged with murder so you know rob you being an attorney and a you know a lawyer what's your what's your i guess analysis of the situation that happened and, and where we are today yeah, I'm going to start. I'm going to read a quote that I actually posted on my Facebook. I was quiet for a couple of days and, and I just ran across this quote and I thought it was really relevant and something that people should hear. And it's from a the former from a former, former Supreme Court justice, the chief Supreme Court judge. His name was uh, uh, Berger, Warren Berger. The quote is a sense of confidence in the courts is essential to maintain the fabric of ordered liberty for a free people. And three things can destroy that confidence and do incalculable damage to a society that people come to believe that the inefficiency and delay will drain even a just judgment its value, that people who have long been exploited in the smaller transactions of daily life come to believe that courts cannot vindicate their legal rights from fraud and overreaching, that people come to believe 
the law in a larger sense cannot fulfill its primary function to protect them and their families in their homes, at their works and on the public streets. I think the back part of that quote is what we're really dealing with. We're dealing with uh, a society uh, where people feel as though the law that's designed to protect them is not there to protect them. When you watch that video, when you look at um, what this police officer did to, to Floyd, yeah, it's, it's gut wrenching. You know, it's not very often we watch movies, we see stuff on TV, but it's not often that people outside of certain fields watch a person die on camera. And we watched a man die on camera. We watch a man expire on camera. But not only that, he died at the hands of people who are paid to protect and serve, paid to, paid to protect and serve him. And when you sit there and you watch that, it's just one of the most frustrating parts is the fact that all he had to do was remove the pressure, like take the pressure off of his neck. He he had nine minutes to do it at any moment, just remove the knee. When you read the complaint that's been authored by the Minnesota, uh, by the county in Minnesota that's prosecuting the case, they they detail that there was a point where Floyd's pulse was checked and he had no pulse and they continued to stay on his back. Two officers on his back and the officer on his neck. So for over two minutes after realizing he didn't have a pulse, they remained on his back and they remained on his neck. Um, that hurts people, that frustrates people, that angers people. And, and one can argue, oh, well, they'll be prosecuted. Just wait, you'll get justice. But then we look back at history. We go back one week and we see a Maude Aubrey you know, we just started raising issue with that, but that had, in fact, happened a month earlier and that appeared to have been suppressed by the district attorney's office there. So obviously people here are now frustrated, thinking we're again going to not get justice. And then you could just go back before that. Right. Uh, Amadou Diallo, Sandra Bland, Eric you know, Garner, just, Eric Garner, you Michael, call Brown. Out the name yep. Michael Brown. And there's so many cases where justice was not acquired. So that's why that quote stuck out to me, because, you know, there's a frustration over time. And I saw Spike Lee on TV earlier, you know, born in Brooklyn. I remember Do the Right Thing. I remember when that came out, you had Radio Raheem and Spike was actually saying that Radio Raheem was a character that he based off of a real person. Um, so that happened in the 80s. And he's like, and, and, you know, obviously Radio Raheem's character was choked in the movie, spoiler alert. But you fast forward from Radio Raheem to Eric Garner. So now, Mr. Floyd, you have three people dying in the same form, same fashion at the hands of, you know, some type of authority figure. Uh, and then you have the racial component that is it's white authority figures. And then the underlying issue is just in general, because when you add in the Ahmaud Arbery case, it's just in general, the way that we as black men are viewed as public enemies everywhere we go in society, particularly in the United States of America. Yeah. And I think us, you know, both being black men, we've had negative experiences and we've grown up. I mean, even to this day, when I hear police sirens, there's a, a innate fear that comes, you know, inside of me that I feel whether it's stopping me or not. And, and regardless of what, what's going on, it's just you just never know what that encounter may be. Um, and, and you kind of grew up being black, especially in a city like, you know, New Orleans, where we, we grew up, where. You know, there is a lot of crime, you know, we was where the murder capital of the world. And so there, you know, there's already threats. People already feel threatened in a city where there's a high crime rate. And so being black, that just kind of um, heightens that awareness. And, and, you know, being black men, you're always on edge. 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I was telling somebody the other day that my first experience, I feel like, with authority figures in that in that man. I remember, you know, we had family members in town, and I think we took them to to visit the Apollo Theater. We were in Harlem, uh, but before we stopped at Models in Brooklyn for all my New York listeners, and and I got an Air Jordan cap, right? I was doing my Jordan phase, like I've talked about on previous podcasts. Went to the 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 Harlem to the, to visit the Apollo. Took the family members to the Apollo. We stopped in the sneaker store there, and I remember walking in. Now you you know back in the nineties, everybody's keeping the stickers on the hat and the tags on the hat. So I had a hat, and my brother had a hat, and we walked in, and immediately we were accused of stealing the hats, and they immediately snatched the hats off our head, threw them behind the counter, and started running them. Um, to, to make sure that they were not items from that store. And I just remember probably was no older than seven. You know what I mean? Like, so I was young, but it starts early. That perception it that does. you're always looked at differently, that you're always a criminal. So by the time you get to be old enough to drive and you getting pulled over, you know, I, I've had my, you know, been choked in a car before law enforcement experiences. I mean, so you just get to, you, you we get followed around stores, you know, life just starts to to kind of weigh on you to the extent that you start to everywhere you go have this this burden on you, this extra burden that you carry where you're viewed as the enemy. You're viewed as a threat, you know, everywhere you go, a potential subject, a potential criminal, a potential, you know, person that's going to inflict some negativity in any any situation. And it's it's a heavy burden to carry. It is. And I, and I mean, I, I feel it as a father. I got an eight-year-old son. And then, you know, growing up, my brother was eight years older than me. And my mom would never really go to sleep when my brother was out. And then as I got older, you know, whenever I came home, she was, even if she was in bed, she was always, you know, not fully asleep until we were home. And I, I never really understood the dynamic until, you know, I got older and realized that, you know, especially having a black son or a black child, you just don't feel safe until they reach the home because, you know, so, so many things can happen in the instant. Um, when they're out and about, especially at night, late at night, you know, like you see in a car driving, coming from anywhere, they're just, just, a, a, a innate fear as a parent that you have for your child, um, when they're out and about. And I think you've seen that through these cases that we, that you mentioned. Um, I think also the disturbing piece is in, in most of these cases, not to just rehash everything, but the thing that the, the issue that the person was stopped for is, is 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 minimal or, or or they shouldn't have been stopped at all. You know, like Aubrey was jogging or whatever. Um George Floyd, I believe, was was stopped for forgery of a twenty like a, a passing know, a fake twenty dollar bill. Twenty dollar yeah, bill. I mean, worst, yeah, talking you know, about a potential trespass, a misdemeanor right. trespass, and a potential, you know, the a passing of a twenty dollar bill could potentially be a misdemeanor as well. So right. yeah, you're talking about executions for offenses that <clears throat> wouldn't even result in probably uh, any jail time, even if you were arrested for them. And I think that kind of cuts to this underlying issue because a lot of people will try to tell you that, oh, well, they'll, they'll throw the, they'll try to move the mark. Oh, what about black on black crime? And, you know, there's so much violence in the black community. And, and, and that's in fact why the numbers are a little skewed with, you know, regard to who gets killed the most. I think black people make up 13, 14% of the population, but we result in, over 20% of the law enforcement uh, deaths. And so you get this argument that, well, that's just in fact because of heightened violence in the community. But then you see these videos and you're like, these aren't even violent offenders that are getting killed. You know what I mean? These are at worst nonviolent offenders. And a lot of times people weren't engaged in criminal conduct at all. 
And they're not only they're being killed, but they're being killed on video and you still can't acquire a conviction. And so it just the, the trust and belief in the system starts to deteriorate. I will say that I think that um, over the last 10 to 15 years, there has been a change in the perception. I'll say that, you know, just kind of following you know, we, you kind of downplay the social media piece and, and whether or not it really impacts the way people see and believe uh, things, because there's a lot of people of a lot of different races who are now seeming to post things that make it seem as if they got it. The only benefit I would say to that is those are the people who potentially sit on your jury at the end of the day. Those are the potential. If, if the minds of the people start to collectively change like a groundswell, I like to call it over time. When you walk into a courtroom to present that case to those people, their minds are already sensitive to it as it is something to, to, to understand that excessive force uh, on African-American males is something that has long been a problem. And so when it's being presented to them as jurors, they're not going to just hopefully turn their eye away from it like, oh, no, you know, it, it could never be what you're saying it is. Right. Definitely. And so I, I think where kind of sports is intersected with this this you know protesting and in this civil unrest is that you know we we talked about it with the Jordan documentary right there was a period kind of between where after you know Muhammad Ali Jim Brown Kareem Abdul Jabbar where you had these athletes who were really into social justice and and then came Michael Jordan uh you know Tiger Woods these black athletes crossing over having universal appeal and also a lot of marketing dollars involved where they didn't um, speak up about, you know, civil issues, political issues and, and kind of just stuck to sports. And now you have it back where the LeBron James of the world, uh, the NBA as a whole has, has spoken out with the I Can't Breathe shirts. Uh, Colin Kaepernick took a knee and, and, you know, many felt he's been blackballed. And so now I, I think what stands out to me, especially with this George Floyd case, is that you've seen many more athletes take a stand. Like I said, you know, you saw some with the NBA and, and LeBron with the I Can't Breathe, but I, I've never seen such activity from the, the sports world in general. You've seen uh, Brian Flores, the Miami Dolphins head coach out there in Miami Bayou, Rob. You've seen some college coaches. Steven Jackson, who's a um, longtime NBA player and, and has his all po- own podcast, All the Smoke, initiated kind of was the main speaker at a rally in Minneapolis a, a day or two after uh, George Floyd's death. And, and granted that had something to do with his relationship. He had a relationship with Floyd. He was a, a friend of his, but I think you've just seen more um, out outpouring of, of uh, uneasiness and, and kind of understanding Joe Burrow, LSU's a Heisman winning quarterback, JJ Watt, you know, you've seen more athletes, step up and say things about this that haven't in the past. So I want to get your thoughts, Rob, on what you think of that and where do you see, do you see this as the stepping stone to, to athletes in, in the NFL itself? Roger Goodell made a statement, you know, do you see these, these sports leagues kind of, you know, making more social stands moving forward? I mean, I'd like to believe that it's a long-term reaction, that it'll continue to be the place. I'm not so sure about that. Um, Just in the immediate circumstance of of this situation, the offense was so clear because of the video. You also have the coronavirus that's going on right now. So everybody 
at, was was home and glued to the media. So every it, it put everybody in a situation where you were looking for a comment from everybody. Um, when we, I feel like when we're in our everyday lives, going to work every day, and we have our social lives and nightclubs and bars and everything else are open, I think that that can sometimes reduce the reaction of uh, the media and the public in general. And But with everybody essentially every night coming home to watch or being home all day and watching the same things, I think it turned up the pressure on people um, to have a comment and have a reaction, particularly once everybody started to protesting, uh, to started to protest, to not say anything about it became problematic as opposed to it being just an extra thing if you choose to say something about it. I think when you look back historically, like the 60s and the 70s, the argument is that those players had something to fight for. You hear a lot of people say that in the by the time the late 80s, early 90s rolled around, that those generations didn't have I've heard older people say we didn't leave you enough to fight for, you know, essentially that we did everything for y'all. And now you're coming up in a generation where you're almost somewhat spoiled um, in terms of rights to vote, you know, ability to get loans at banks. Just so many different things that those generations didn't have. I will say that this generation now in the, the 2000s and after, I just think that the idea, the existence of social media gives every individual a public platform. And so when you're an athlete and now you have this platform, you don't have to have a commercial or do an interview with an Oprah Winfrey or, you know, release a, a big statement. You can literally just pick up the phone and press send. You can tweet, Instagram post. And so I think it makes um, the ability to get your opinion on stuff out there easier. But then also, I think that athletes are just more empowered in general. In terms of their position with the brands, their position with the teams, they're not, you know, LeBron James isn't owned by a Nike. You know, it's not a situation where he's going to be worried about Nike dropping him. It's a situation where he can actually apply pressure to Nike to release the statement. So the the, the landscape has changed. And I think that's um, what dictates the players feeling the freedom to make the statements that they make. And now, like we said, it's almost expected that they make the statements. Yeah, and I, I think one thing I want to talk about a little bit more is is Colin Kaepernick, right? When he he started protesting in the NFL, the silent protest, uh, peaceful protest, and, and for a couple of reasons, I want to talk about this. One is that when he started it, it was a, a you know a big to do and a, and a big debate in the national media amongst the, the players themselves, and, and definitely with owners and even the president as to you know was he disrespecting the flag. By taking a knee, which which I don't think he was, and and that's that you know that's still kind of debated back and forth, and a lot of discussion was brought up about as he was kneeling, when does it stop? You know, how long will he kneel? What's going to cause him to stop? When will he stop kneeling? And I think that the answer to that question is his plan wasn't to get some kind of money or incentive to stop kneeling, but it was actually causing uh, you know calling out injustice, and I think he was trying to prevent incidents like George Floyd. And, and I think that's what he was waiting for, you know, and maybe that was never going to happen while he was playing. And I think he was willing to, to kneel, you know, for the remainder of his career. And I think that made a lot of people uneasy and, and, not, and, and especially the NFL owners and a commissioner, and they didn't know how to handle that. And I think you have the situation where now he's not playing, but I think his name continues to be in the spotlight because 
you know, these George Floyd situations continue to happen. And, and I think it gives credence because a lot of people question, you know, was he doing it for publicity or did he really, you know, was he really about the cause? You know, why all of a sudden people question his intent? Um, so I want to get your thoughts on that. And then secondly, you know, a, a lot has been said about the protest, the looting that's going on. And in my, I think, topic for discussion there is, you know, people are, are up in arms about, you know, the looting and, and, and the aggressive protests. But when Kaepernick did, you know, a peaceful protest and took a knee, a lot of people took, you know, took a, a issue with that. So it, it's like, at what point is a protest accepted? And and, and I'll leave it at that and, and let you chime in, Ron. Yeah, I mean, I think first to the Colin Kaepernick point, I do think he would have been willing to, pro to to take a knee for the rest of his career. I don't. The interesting thing about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee is that initially when he did it, nobody cared, right? It, it wasn't until the media started to give it coverage and he started to do more interviews about it that the owners reacted to it because the fans reacted to it negatively. Right. And it yep. became a money issue that was affecting exactly. their bottom line. But he was able to take a knee, I think, at the first few games, might have even been preseason games, with no one even really noticing. I, I don't – I want to say Marshawn Lynch, you know, he would sit down. I think he was kind of notorious for sitting down. I mean, I've been in a lot of stadiums where I didn't necessarily always stand up for the national anthem. I didn't – prior to that, I don't remember it being this if you're not standing when the national anthem is being played, you're somehow – unpatriotic. I don't even know that that dot was connected until he started to give interviews about it. Um, so I think, yeah, so based on that, I would reject the idea that he was doing it for his own publicity. I don't, I never really thought that it was something that he was doing uh, for personal benefit. I think he went through the same thing that a lot of us go through when you start to, you know, read specific literature and kind of understand your history. I was a history minor. I remember being at Morehouse College and just going through some of those classes and learning about you know, the occupation of different parts of African colonization and um, just the way we were treated, even outside of, of slavery, the countries that didn't necessarily engage in the slave trade were colonized and, you know, understanding the process and the things that went on there and how we were discriminated against on our own continent. And then, you know, understanding the systems in place that we came into once we got here and even once slavery ended, how it didn't actually end the treatment and the black codes and, you know, the redlining and, Tulsa, Oklahoma, a Black Wall Street, just all of those things. And it it it's enough to, you know, make you have a lot of different reactions. And his was to take a knee. And to me, that seems on the lighter end, right? A form right, of protest. Definitely. Yeah, right? especially once you, considering once you being armed with all that information at the same time as I think he articulates that he was, you know, just starting to do all this new reading and all this new research. Uh, and that was his reaction. And to, to me, that was perfectly fine. Um, everything that came out after that, I think, was a lot of stuff about financial gain. Um, I think right now we're in a situation where the NFL potentially stands to benefit from it financially. Right? They found a way to make it something that, that makes them view positive in a lot of circles. Um, and so on the, the, the looting piece and the rioting piece, I mean, you know, I'm never going to sit here and condone people destroying pieces of property that are owned by people who they may not even know who may support their cause, who may be African-American. I mean, I'm never going to condone that, but I just think that anything that reduces the conversation about the incidents that are taking place is improper. Like, I, I just, 
I think that this is a time and a place to talk about the people who've been murdered and the the inability to acquire justice for those people. And so I'm not really concerned about sneakers and broken glass when there are lives that are being lost and we're not even able to get justice for those families. Um, And so that's just my position on that. You can, as you said, you can try to compare one, the, the, the kneeling versus the looting and the rioting. I, I don't totally even connect it to. I mean, I've, like I told you at the beginning of this, watched some looting going on outside of my window. And, and, and some may have been engaged in initial protest. But a lot of what I've seen is, you know, you'll have a big crowd that's protesting. And then just sometimes people who are in that crowd who will break off and kind of run over and antagonize the police. And that'll lead to some dust ups, maybe rubber bullets, maybe, you know, pepper spray and mace and and. and it seems like just from watching the news that that might be the same thing with the looting in some cities. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I do think too, sometimes it's a little unfair. I think some of the looting gets kind of publicized because it's, you know, it, it can grab headlines. It can, it can get viewers, but I don't think that's the majority of what's going on here. You saw a lot of people in Minneapolis at the rally where Steven Jackson spoke. Jamie Foxx was there. They had a large gathering. I saw, you know, on Twitter, some people posted stuff in New Jersey where citizens were with police officers walking, uh, silently protesting. And I uh, saw some people in Germany, I believe, who, uh, you know, were chanting, you know, Black Lives Matter at the U.S. Embassy. So I think there's a lot of positive things, um, a lot of positive people involved in a protest. And sometimes the media likes to portray like this looting aspect of it. That's just a few people who are trying to take advantage of, of a bad situation in, in, a, in a group, in a crowd. Um, and I think that gets highlighted and publicized more than the, the actual good uh, and people with great intentions um, that, that gets overshadowed by, by some of the um, foolishness going on. And I, yeah, I think the media likes to highlight that. You, you, and you have to understand just from a basic perspective, like, say, for example, New Orleans, a city like that, you got 1800 police officers. You got to subtract out like all the different police officers who work in like crime technicians in all these different areas. And then you got to divide it up. There's all these different districts. Like each district may only have, you know, 200 some odd officers that work there. And then you, you know, so my point is that out on the street at any given time where a protest is taking place, you're somewhat limited in the actual bodies that you have. So if I'm following a protest because, you know, that's what they're assigned to do, block off the streets, make sure that you don't have an incident like Charlottesville where some, you know, random crazed person drives through a crowd and stuff like that. That's your focus. Basically, all your resources are thrown into to working with the protest and it does allow for reduced police presence in other areas, which makes it easy to uh, do things like loot. Uh, and so that's something that you just have to understand when, you know, these types of Act, activities are going on, protests and whatnot. I, and I will point out, because you talked about a, a lot of different protests here in Miami, there was one in Coral Gables where before the protest and the rally even started, like the police and the, the citizens got down on a knee together and prayed. Um, and I, I've seen a, a number of different places with Flint, Michigan. I saw where the sheriff took off all his combat gear, gave a speech to the people, asked that he basically said, I spoke to one of the leaders of the protest and just asked what they wanted from us. This person's told me that they wanted to be heard and they wanted us to, they want to feel like they were a part of any decisions and process and blah, blah, blah. And he basically said, you know, I gave him a hug and I told them we're taking off our riot gear and we'll march with y'all because what we saw was something we don't support either. So if that's what this march is about and all you want to do is feel heard, you're heard by us and we agree with you and they marched together. So 
I mean, the, the hope is that positive dialogue is able to continue. I, I mean, that's all that ever should have been taking place. I think that whenever the law enforcement versus the people becomes us versus them, it cuts against what uh, cuts against what law enforcement is meant to do. Definitely. Nobody wants to feel like they live in a police state and nobody wants to feel like they live in a police state where only certain people are subject to harsh penalties and, you know, that the law is only here to police me, but to help all these other people. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of systemic issues, you know, which have led us to, to where we are today. And, and there's a lot of things that need to be changed and a lot of conversations that need to be had. Um, but, but where I want to go next with this is, you know, we talked about Colin Kaepernick. We talked about LeBron James and, and, and the league stepping up and, and, and making statements. What do you see, especially as, as sports starts to come back? Uh, they had two, I believe, soccer players who had um, armbands for George Floyd. Like, what do you see moving forward? Do you see more players protesting as, as the NFL games come back? And I mean, we don't even know what that looks like or, or you know, if, if, you know, if seasons are going to come back, there's plans on coming back. But how do you see players, you know, being stepping up, being heard, being activists? You see more players kneeling, putting fists in the air um, or, or you see just a more collaborative uh, piece from from the, the league and its players? First of all, let me say, I hope that this even continues to carry this much weight into like September. Because the reality is, you know, we're having this conversation, but 100,000 people have died in the United States of the coronavirus. Yeah. And, true. and since January, I mean, man, I saw a meme that said, you know, each month of 2020 has somehow figured out a way to out ghetto the month before. And like, you know, we lost Kobe in January, and you would have thought that that would have been the story of the year, like losing one of the largest, you know, athletic stars. Uh, of our generation to a helicopter crash. And then, you know, 100,000 people die from a virus. Now we have riots over police misconduct. You know, we had the, the week before it was a mod Aubrey and then it was it was the Karen woman in Central Park. And then it was this. And so the, my hope is that we don't lose sight of uh, the underlying cause, which is the pursuit of justice. Because remember, like one person has been charged more than likely we'll see at least maybe three, maybe four people get charged. But then you have the whole trial process, which is likely going to take over a year. So we'll be well into 2021 before either one of these cases um, probably make it to a jury. And so the hope is that people can continue to keep these things in mind and, and pay attention. Um, and, and more importantly, show up at the polls and vote. Um, a lot of yes, people complained definitely. about a lot of people complain about the coroner's report in this case with George Floyd mentioning all his other pre-existing health conditions. Understand, at least in a city like New Orleans, like the coroner's, that's an elected official, you know, uh, the district attorney, elected official. So a lot of this stuff is like, you know, the ball's in our court. We can make change as long as we step up. Um, and so to that end, my hope is that the athletes, the leagues will continue to use their positions, their platforms uh, to support things that bring about change. While I would, you know, not have a problem with them taking a knee during games, I think that the level of awareness is so high now that there's just so much that can be done. And I'd hope that they do that. I mean, you, you can fund research research organizations. I mean, as athletes, individual athletes, you know, unlike what Michael Jordan did during his tenure, you can support an individual candidate's campaign. It, sometimes it might just be important to 
do get out and vote campaigns for lower level state elections where you have judges, district attorneys and coroners up for election. Right. Because those are the things that that bring about change. I know everybody, you know, wants to be out there in November, Super Tuesday for the presidential election. But right. But those it's more other than that. offices. Yeah. Those other offices are equally important. And hopefully like that's the type of stuff that the leagues, the teams and the individual players can just draw attention to that type of stuff, because I, in my opinion, that's where the real change is brought about. Like we can take the knees, we can sign the petitions, we can call the DAs, but the DAs are responsive to the bodies at the polls. You know, your phone call after an event happens is fine, but if I know you're not going to show up in the polls in a few months, I don't really need to change my behavior for you. Right. So, so that's where I would hope that you know if they're going to have some impact that they they go about it that way. Yeah, and I think my my challenge to athletes are just. You know, in whatever manner you want to do it, you know, Kaepernick chose to take a knee and, and, and I think it caused a lot of attention and, and die and good, great dialogue. But like as, as you know, we go through this coronavirus, you see a lot of athletes, you know, with these TikToks and these dances and, and, and different things and all these followers. And it's cool. And, uh, you know, you definitely need to entertain and, and have your fun and all that. But I think it's important for them to realize how, you know, how large of an audience they have, not only on television when they play their sport, but on social media. You have millions of followers. You have a voice and and you need to use it. And I think if anything, they've seen now like how important how how far their voices, their thoughts, their um their takes on different situations reach. It has far lasting impact and it and it reaches a lot of different people and it can help move things you know like steven jackson giving that speech covered by espn on cnn he has a podcast like you reach thousands and in, in some cases you know millions of people and it has an impact it, it can move and, and drive change and like you said to your point you know not only just give your thoughts and, and feelings and emotions on different uh, aspects of, of life um in, in social justice but also to make change, you know, it happens a lot of it in the polls and you have the ability to to promote a candidate to to help create that change by getting somebody in office that you think um, is really about change. And so you got to use all your you know, all your tools, uh, including social media, because, you know, you do have that that impact and that reach. So I, I hope that's what these athletes take from it, that they can impact change in a in a in a very direct way. So. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, unfortunately, there'll there'll be more incidences. You know, hopefully not this, but but there'll be something. And so, I, I wonder, like you said, with the coronavirus and, and people being at home, you know, it, it's the hot topic, and so people are talking about it and debating about it and, and, and discussing it. But what happens when the NBA returns? What happens when the NFL returns and people are back to to playing football, yeah, playing let's games? Be real. What happens when they let us back outside? Right, exactly. Because people are gonna be so right. excited to be back outside. <laughs> and I go to movie theaters and right, go out like to go dinner. To movie, right. I live in Miami and they open them clubs back up on South Beach. Come on now. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see. Um, you know, if, if anything changes once we get back to, to what we, you know, consider normal. Um so I mean, I don't wanna say we'll leave it at that, but but I think we've talked about a lot and I think a lot has been said, you know, in, in 
a whole bunch of different formats. So just w- without being able to make an easy transition, let's talk a little bit about um, some things that happen in sports. And I think one of the big stories is that the NBA plans to return in late July, open training camp in early July. Um, what's your thoughts on, on you know, there's this talk about a playing, a playoff playing format for the seven to eight seeds. What, what would you like to see uh, coming into that? I mean, personally, I was kind of on on, you know, one of the people who's just like, if there's 17 games left to 20 games left per team, just pick a number and get everybody around that number. Say you pick 10 games and if a team uh, or pick a number like 70 and then say that everybody just get to 70 and then we'll go into the playoffs with whoever qualifies. Gotcha. I get that the issue there appears to be that you have a lot of players who are like, well, if now I only have five, six, seven games left, I can't close that three and a half game gap or even worse. Like I'm way down at the bottom. I'm, you know, 10, 11, 12 seed range. I'm not coming back to play for that, especially not with the fear of a virus that exists out there. So with that being said, they're trying to incentivize um, all of those players to come back and compete. I, you know, I'm not excited about that idea. I've read, you know, about how they're going to try to make it entertaining for the fans, maybe try to have some type of playing tournament for those teams against each other. But I'm not crazy about that idea. I personally, uh, I'm ready to, I I feel like we kind of know who the top teams are. The NBA is pretty top heavy. I think we're all looking forward to seeing the Clippers and the Lakers. You know, we want to see what Miami Philly are going to do in the East and then uh, the Raptors and the Bucks. And in, in the West, there's some fun younger teams that we would like to see. I want to see what skinny James Harden is going to do. Um, <laughs> Looks like he done lost a ton of weight. And and so him Cracky and Russell James. Westbrook. The, so they, out, him and Russell Westbrook together, they might provide for an exciting series. Um, but realistically speaking, I'm not all that concerned about the who who comes into the Western Conference playoffs as the eight seeds. So to 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 make extra adjustments to for the eight, nine, 10, and 11 teams to play amongst each other to see who gets the eight seed is not something that, I, that I'm that i personally like very interested in. Listen, the fact that you are not crazy about the play-in format is crazy to me. Like, that's exactly what the NBA needs. Listen, no, nobody gives a damn if you start the basketball season back in July about games 62 through 75. Okay, I don't care to see Zion with the Pelicans playing the Golden State Warriors. I want to see Zion and Jai Morant, Zion and, and Dame Lillard, Dame and, and um uh Pazingas and and uh what's the what's the uh the point guard in Dallas. You know, I want to see these dudes have an all out brawl to get into those last two spots. There's nothing more exciting than to see, you know, one two games that matter. And, and and that leads us into the playoffs. And you don't think the NBA wants to see Zion and LeBron square off in round one? What better way to start the playoffs than than to have, you know, the possibly the, one of the greatest top two greatest players ever to play the game with the new sensational rookie uh, from Duke down in the world and Zion Williamson coming in like that's exactly what the NBA needs. I don't know if you said the point guard in Dallas. I don't know if you were talking about Luka Doncic, who's yeah, not a point guard. <laughs> but he has the point. He's a six foot seven. Seth Curry is more of a point guard uh, for the which for the for the Mavericks than he is. But 
you sound like a homer. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> like, because what you're saying is you're excited about the playing with teams, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. But my question is, what is teams one through six doing while seven through eleven is scrapping to see who gets one seed? You know what I mean? Like, I'm concerned about what is, you know, the claw going to be doing? What's Kawhi and Paul George going to be doing? What's Anthony Davis and LeBron James going to be doing? That's the people that we really, you know, are, are worried about. The series that everybody wants to see is the Lakers versus the Clippers. Let's be real. And the quicker they get me to that, the better. And so me sitting around watching people scrap over the eight seed so they can figure out who's going to get swept by the Lakers or who's going to get swept by the Bucks is just it's minimally exciting to me. And also, like, aren't all these guys claiming that they need some some good runs? You know what I'm saying? You play sports. You know what it it is to to be off for a couple of weeks. Even they had a clip where it was LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and J.R. Smith riding their bikes. It must have been before J.R. Smith kicked that dude's ass uh, for breaking into his car. (laughs) But they were riding bikes. All of that – fun workout stuff with your friends on the side or even training with your personal trainer is totally different than game shape. So the reality is these dudes going to need to get in the game shape. And I don't know if you get in the game shape uh, at the same time as doing a playing at these playing games, somebody going to fool around and get hurt. Yeah. They're going to have a competitive scrimmage for the, for the top six seeds. But first I just want to comment on, I just Boring. looked it up. I want first. I want to comment on uh, Luka Doncic. I, I just looked at the Dallas starting lineup on Google, and he is the starting point guard. Um, you know, you need to you need to come to new. You, you stop stop putting these players in buckets. You ain't got to be six three to be a point guard. <laughs> but anyways, um, I, I know what you're saying with that too. I, I get that, but I do think there's there's an element of you know excitement to start off when the season gets back and i think nothing nothing would get fans more excited and there's been some talks around this i think over the years with adam silver about uh, a playing format for a, a playoff like a round robin format for the last um couple spots of the playoffs the, la- the, the, the second thing i want to talk about with, with uh, the nba returning is there's also been some talk and i don't think it's going to happen but they were talking about seeding one through 16 regardless of conference do you like that format over the Eastern versus Western Conference? Because because I'm looking at the East and the East is kind of weak. I mean, you look at uh, the Bucks with Giannis at one, and now after that at two, you got the Toronto Raptors without um, the claw, without Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I just don't know because what if we do that? Aren't we talking about a potential NBA Finals with two Western Conference teams? Yeah, but what and I just who would you rather historically, see? I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to potentially seeing the Bucks and the Lakers or the Bucks and the Clippers in the finals. Um, and I don't know that the Bucks make the finals if you do it as a one through sixteen. I'm pretty sure they don't make it. Right. I mean, they might not make it as it is. Right. They lost to <laughs> they lost to the Seventy Sixers last year. Right. Yep. Yep. They or lost to the, No, they, they lost to uh, they lost to the um, to, to the Raptors. They did. Okay. And then the Raptors lost to the. Uh, I know the Raptors lost to the 76ers because that's the shot that uh, Kawhi hit. Yeah, and I mean, to me, to me, I don't think you can do the 1 through 16 now because, like, the way you have it set up with the conferences is scheduling, right? So you you play certain teams more times than the other because they're in your conference so, and your yeah, division. potential tiebreakers. Right, so by you having – plan that to do the the playoff seeding in a normal Eastern Conference, Western Conference, to then change that um, would would 
I think create some unfair advantages. Like, you know, maybe the Clippers might be the third or fourth seed and they and they played the Lakers, you know, more times than the Bucks or whatever. Yeah, you know, so I'm I, looking at it realistically, you know, the Raptors would be the second seed, the Clippers would be the third, but they right. would only be one game ahead of the Nuggets and the Celtics, and they're they haven't all played the same amount of games. Exactly. So you could find yourself in a situation where they bring them back play five games and in those five games the seeding could shift tremendously the clippers could end up being the fifth seed in the in the one through 16 yeah um, and i just yeah i don't think it, i don't i just and i don't I, think anybody I, believes that the raptors and the celtics are better than the clippers right but like right. you said they played the lakers more times which may contribute to their record right and, and a lot of it has been a lot of people say you know you can't do one through 16 Normally, because of of traveling considerations, like you can't have the Celtics and the Lakers playing in the second round and traveling cross country. Like that's why you have the different conferences. And so, just to do it this year because everybody's in a a, a bubble in Disney World, then you can't continue to do that the following years because then it's back to normal. And so, I don't think and, you do and, and there's legacies on the line. Let's just yeah, be real. Exactly. Like right. people have set right. their teams up around potential conference matchups, and to shift that. After sixty some odd games have been played, just that's not proper. Yeah, and I mean you, you know, you want to see the Lakers and the Clippers go at it to see who's the best. If one of those two teams were to win a championship and not have to face each other, I think as a fan and, and historically you would feel cheated and you would feel like that that wasn't a true champion. And so, in saying that, the last thing I kind of want to talk about with with the NBA returning is: Do you think an asterisk is put by the the team who wins this this championship this year. I mean, I think they're gonna put it there, but you know that I'm a as a Knicks fan growing up, the Knicks that was a 50 game season. I think we made it to the finals as an yeah. eight seed. So right. I, been, I was looking back at that over the past couple of days. That eight seed was was largely because they had a bunch of injuries during the regular season, and because it was a 50 game sprint, your record they as the eight seed like seven games separated the eight seed and the one seed. And I think that the Heat were the one seed and they beat the Heat in the first round of the playoffs. I think it was a five-game series because they had no business really being the eight seed. They just had some additional injuries during the regular season. And because the one and eight gap was so close, um, you had a, there wasn't much of a difference in talent, I guess I should say, between the one seed and the eight seed. And that had an asterisk. This, like, realistically speaking – I don't think that there's enough games left or will be enough games left by the time this is all said and done that you would really challenge anything about the way the standings came out. I don't think that anybody is really thinking that any of these eight seeds are are threats to go to the NBA finals. So if somebody makes it in as the eight seed that would not have made it in um, were it not for this playing situation, I don't think that it's going to really create that much of a difference to what the final outcome uh, would have been. Yeah, I think most of the, the top six, seven seeds in both conferences are already locked in. So I think, like you said, you know, you pretty much have who was going to be there anyways. And then historically, when you look at the Spurs won that short season, they beat your Knicks. Tim Duncan has five rings. Nobody ever puts an asterisk, you know, saying that his first out of five was in that short season. Nobody really talks about it. It's just kind of, you know, I, I think history has looked – Favorably, favorably upon Tim Duncan in his in his five championships, and I don't think anybody questions any of them. Um, and, and maybe it's because he was great. Like maybe if that was Patrick Ewan's only championship, maybe the mm-hmm. asterisk would, would be bigger. But 
But I mean, when I think about it now, you know, nobody nobody questions Tim Duncan's first championship. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember if Patrick Ewing, I know he was hurt either. I think he missed most of the games that season, if not all of them. Right, but I think he was back in the playoffs, right? Yeah, but I feel like he didn't, he he just wasn't much of a factor. I think that was the year that when he came back, he had the cast on his hand. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, I mean, with that being said, you know, I'm looking forward to basketball. It'll it'll be good to have it um, in the summer, especially, you know, normally July and August are the dog days of summer where we're looking forward to football and, and it's just the middle of the baseball season and nothing's really going on. So I'm kind of excited to have something to look forward to in July and August leading up to you looking at it as a sports fan, the NBA playoffs, the foot, the, the NFL season and a college football season all at one time. I mean, there's going to be a lot of a lot of sports to watch, a lot of fun going on every day of the night, every, every night of the week. Um, so so as, a, as a sports fan, I'm, I'm excited. And as a sports fan, one one sport that I haven't been excited to watch in about 25 years is Major League Baseball. And. There's a lot of uh That's because you need to jump on this Yankees bandwagon. <laughs> Man, I ain't gonna talk about the Yankees. But uh um uh, there's a lot of I guess arguments happening between, you know, ownership or, or the MLB and the players association. And there's there's so much, you know, Un- uneasiness between the two sides that they're talking about possibly not even having a season, which hadn't happened since I believe it was 1994 when they had the strike season and, and, and you know they had a lost season. So baseball, I think, clearly being the third uh, most popular sport after football and basketball, you know, if you if you don't come back and you miss a whole season, that that impacts not only this season, but I think it impacts seasons to come in terms of, of losing fans, support, and just general interest and coverage amongst you know fans. So, as a baseball fan, Rob, you're a Yankees fan, right? So, what do you see as a, as a potential outcome if if the season doesn't happen? I think the players are being a little spoiled, to be honest with you. 162 games is a lot of damn games. That's ridiculous. Nobody. <laughs> I mean, it, it's the reason that they get paid so much because realistically speaking, whatever your ad revenue is in your sport, you know, for football, it's 16 games. Now you're talking about – and football has great support. Tons of people watch. Well, imagine if you if you multiplied all of football's revenue by 10. You would see people getting $300 million-plus contracts. Right. But given that their contracts are so large and they're fully guaranteed and they're so long, it boggles my mind that they won't play the remainder of a season on a reduced contract that reflects the length of the season as if, you know, you're not going to be right back the next year on that guaranteed contract. Now, you know, I I think if I was a sports agent, I'd probably be wearing a different hat. But right now I got my fan hat on and I'm thinking your sport is already losing so much support. And a lot of people say it lost that support because of the previous strike and it never gained back the foothold, at least not until the steroid era. And then when it's everybody realized y'all was cheating, then kind of lost the support again. Right. So it just seems like it's not the time. This is not a time for you to 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 give in an opportunity for your sport uh, to, to grow by. I'm not going to say leaps and bounds, but like, let's just think about it. Once the coronavirus situation starts to die down, they get back on the field. 
they're going to be one of the few things that exist. They're going to be one of the only sports on TV, you know, in terms of American sports that we watch regularly. They'll be the only one on. And they'll be one of the things that allows people to feel like society is getting back to regular everyday life. Being able to turn on the TV and see American athletes competing in American sports. You know, enough of this. I don't know. Is that Korean baseball that they've been playing? I was going to say. <laughs> and then I was going to say. The UFC fights in these empty arenas. People right. getting bloody faces and there's no body in the crowd. That feels weird. Right. Um, there's just nothing on that is the typical American sport that I watch. Even the UFC events, even though I watch those from time to time, that's like a pay-per-view event. Like that's something I'm usually going to go to a sports bar and watch and be around people. Right. And so that's not something that I'm necessarily going to sit in my house you know, and watch uh, and order by myself. Um, so I just think that it's, it'd be short-sighted and missing a big opportunity from the individual players. Just think about it in terms of like the marketing, like people are going to see your face. So many, There's a lot of states where summer camps and everything else are closed. The kids are going to be home. Those games during the dog days of summer that happen in the middle of the day that people typically don't and can't watch, now people are going to be watching them. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And it, and I was just going to, you, you read my mind. I was going to say like Korean baseball is on ESPN now as one of the few live sports. And so for baseball not to be back, and I, I don't want to say how people should feel about being comfortable going back, but baseball is one of the sports that can can probably survive the most in, in a social distance world, right? Because you got different positions where players are, are mo- way more than six feet apart um, when you talk about the positions on defense, Um so that's one of the sports that that probably should be back sooner than any other sport. And and for them, the, the ESPN to be sure Korean baseball and, and Major League Baseball is is still fighting over money. Uh, and just just so every, just to be clear, basically, Major League Baseball is proposing that all players take a 50 percent reduction in salary because they're going to cut the games essentially in half from 162 games, which is the normal season to somewhere around 81 games. So they're asking all players to take, you know, half their salary this year. And then they go into a, um, a salary range. You know, you make so much money and you take this percentage of cut. So, uh, as to, you know, so the league doesn't lose too much money. And I think baseball has to be very careful because you're already talking about coming back in the midst of the NBA playoffs in the start of the football season. Um, so again, if, if, you know, you'll be fighting for, for fan viewership if you come back, but if you don't come back at all and you're out of fans minds for what would be over a year, right? Because if they, let's say they don't play this year, they're not coming back till April of 2021 2021, and wouldn't have played since October of 2019. Right, like you're forgetting who's on teams. Right, that's a year and a half without, you know, people adapt. Baseball already has all of this movement amongst pitchers, relief pitchers and stuff like that. So that's, you know. Right, and you talk about, you know, I'm starting to think about like, let's say you don't have a season this year. Then next year, you know, you got basketball again going into the spring and in the beginning of the summer. You got football in in the fall and then Olympics got moved to next year. So guess what? If you don't play this year, people don't give a damn about you next year. And then I got the Olympics in that time between basketball and, and a football season to, to occupy my time as well. Like you talking about a significant run where fans are not going to really care about a sport and, and, uh, you know, the, the lifeline of that sport, you know, money might revenue might start going down on the TV side, money for players might start going down. So, you know, it, it might be a situation where you got to take a little less now, 
to also uh, you to guys, like you don't want to you don't want to give up uh you don't want to give up market space to like European soccer and stuff like that. Exactly what I'm saying. What's right. going to happen is they you know ESPN is going to start covering that stuff a little bit more yep. and people are going to potentially start watching what the rest of the world typically watches during those times which is is soccer championship league and all those different things um and let me be clear on the baseball front I got a vested interest because the Yankees signed Garrett Cole I think this is our year and I'll be damned if the coronavirus <laughs> is going to keep me from to getting my Yankees to to the World Series it's it's gonna be interesting, right? I ain't gonna lie, it's gonna be interesting, and I, I think you know if they don't have a season, it's gonna piss off a lot of people. And like you said, there's gonna be a lot of backlash and, and some things done behind the scenes that that wouldn't be good for Major League Baseball going out. So and I, with all I, these I, protests I didn't see, you know, I'm at the <laughs> point where let's stop talking about this virus being the reason that they not these millionaires aren't gonna come out here and play sports, right? right. Cause they got people protesting. They were protesting the cities being closed first, all in Minnesota or Minneapolis, all these different places. They were in the capitals and next I to each other. I saw the Gulf Shores, Alabama for Memorial Weekend. Yeah, people hey, the nobody was worried about coronavirus. They opened the beach in Miami tomorrow, actually. Well, I guess, you know, yeah, June 1st, the beach is supposed to be open. Like, people are coming back to everyday life. So the argument that the players are making about being scared of catching the coronavirus is starting to be one like the rest of the world is about to be back at work. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> arguing that you can't play baseball in July is starting to look nonsensical. And and listen, my brother lives in Houston. I, I go to a couple Astros games every year. You know, they ain't filling up the stands every night. So if, if you go a whole season, you know, you're going to be in trouble as a sport. So just, just be careful, baseball. Be careful. Um, but I mean, other than that, that's that's all we had today. Um Anything you want to talk about before we wrap up, Rob? No, nah, man. I'm just hoping, you know, we as a country can kind of come together, man, and, and, and you know, the riot and just seeing cities burn, seeing cities burn, yeah, knowing that the numbers are already over 100,000, the fear and concern that there'll be some some fallout from all of this protesting where we see numbers increase in cities, uh, you know, a virus that's already disproportionately impacting black and brown people. Um, and then we're protesting you know, the deaths at the hands of law enforcement by black and brown people. I just hope that we don't see an increase in coronavirus cases in black and brown people due to this. It would just be, you know, compounding the tragedy. So I just hope that, you know, we all are smart about the way we handle this stuff. And and, and I'm hoping uh, that the justice system plays out the way that it's supposed to, the way that it's meant to. Yeah, definitely. I hope we get some justice. I hope we get some resolution to this. And, you know, I hope we can come together. Uh, as a country, as people, because, you know, this is not this couldn't come at a worse time. You know, this civil unrest with the corona. And like you said, the last thing we need is to see the increase in number. So, you know, I hope this can uh, bring people together, um, find justice and, and hopefully create dialogue moving forward to, to create some change. I think we've talked about change uh, and talked, you know, debated back and forth on on. You know, how black and brown people are treated by the police and, and things that need to change systemically. I work in education, um, but we, we just haven't we haven't seen any, I don't think, um, impactful change yet. And so hopefully this this creates more conversation about how we create that impactful change. So um, that's all we got for the night. We see you all next week. Oh, and I got one bingeable, one bingeable for y'all this week. Oh, what you Apple got? What you got? TV, Apple TV defending Jacob had me glued to my seat. It's a, a legal drama. All right, I'm about to get rid of cable, so I, I might I might get the Apple TV checking out. 
that's all we got, y'all. We out. All right, let's, let's get out of here.